Welcome to the Who Cares podcast. I'm your host, Dan Hedinger. Care matters. You feel better when you know somebody cares about you, and others respond better to you when they know you care about them. But you know what is most important? When people of faith care effectively for others, the world is able to experience God's love and care. So we are here to ask the question, how can we care better? What can we do to provide the best care? Today, I have a return guest, Jason Mueller. Jason's 19-year-old son was tragically murdered, but Jason has honored his son by helping other people go through the grief journey as Jason supports them with his story. Today, Jason is going to talk about the stages of grief. Everybody wonders, can we move through grief and grieving, and where do we move to? And that's what Jason's going to be talking about today. But before my conversation with Jason, I want you to know this podcast is brought to you by Best Care Ministry. For more real-life stories of care, useful resources, important organizations that care for people, go to our website, bestcareministry.com. It is also a great opportunity for you to get connected with people in the care ministry world. And you can support us financially with a one-time or a recurring gift on the donate page of our website. Please consider supporting us financially so that together we can keep telling these stories, build a culture of care, and help people experience God's love. Now, let's listen to my conversation with Jason Mueller. Jason, so great to have you back on the podcast. I'm glad you keep telling your story. Glad you share your story with us because it helps us all learn a lot more about grief and grieving. I know it's heavy, but I appreciate you sharing with us. So welcome back. Oh, thanks, Dan. Appreciate you having me back. And, you know, it's as many times as we've done this, it continues to be a lesson for me as well. Because it is a lifelong journey and you just have to continue to understand everything that you go through. So it, it continues to help me. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And I, I'm sure our listeners will too. Talking about grief, I think is very, very important, but it is a heavy topic. And people may wonder, well, why do we have to talk about grief so much? What is really even the goal of grieving? Don't I just want to get to feel better? And so I would just want to start today by highlighting what the goal of grieving is. Because you and I talked last time about the the pain and sitting in another chair with another person, the ministry of the other chair. And today we're going to talk about the stages of grief. People often ask, what are the stages of grief? And we're going to talk about that today is the main part of our discussion. But I just want to begin by highlighting the goal of grieving. What are we actually trying to do? And when we get to a healthy place of grieving, when we achieve our ultimate goal, I believe what we do is we come to the place where we can really honor the one that we miss. We have found an appropriate way to honor the one that we miss. And it's different for everybody, but 
You and I have talked about that with Austin, and that's one reason you even do these podcasts and one reason you lead Grief Share. So what do you have to say about the way, about the goal of grieving and uh, honoring our loved one? You know, I've, I've broken the goal down so many different ways over the last five years. Um, and of course, it always was. The goal was ultimately, what can I do to honor my son? What can I do to, you know, honor the heart that he had to help other people, um, to always be there for other people, uh, to listen, um, and to just be a heart for them. Um, but I've also I've also started to realize, and, and I still... Like I said, I continue to learn, but another goal for me on this is continuing every day. There's a new goal of just putting one foot in front of the other. And I think from the early onset of grief till you get to that point of being able to honor your loved one, I think it's every step of the way is a new goal. And I think that's a, it's a, it's a way that for my father, as, as an example, you know, next month we celebrate or not celebrate, acknowledge two years of losing my mom. And two years later, my dad still hasn't figured out how to get through his grief. And as many, many times as we've talked about it and all that. So what I've tried to do is help him to just set small goals. How do we how do we step one foot in front of the other? Uh, so I, I look at it two different ways now, and that's just something that has helped me along the way. Um, and help me talk to other people. Because to your point, Dan, too many people want to go from A to Z very, very quickly without saying the rest of the alphabet, right? And I, you just can't do that. And especially with grief, it's uh, you've got to allow yourself to to work through this process and to understand your journey. <clears throat> so did I hear you right that while there may be an ultimate goal, Maybe that goal even changes, but there have to be a lot of intermediate goals too, just to put one foot in front of the other. Oh, absolutely. There, I, I think you've got to have the smaller goals in order to get to that bigger goal, right? It's almost like anything else in life, uh, whether it's business or financial or think of sports, you know, whatever the case is, your ultimate goal, right? Let's talk college football, right? National championship, but you've got a lot of small goals first. We've got to get different positions. We've got to get different coaches. We've got to, So those are all the little goals. And then we've got to work along the way. And, and I, I honestly, I just, I don't feel like grief is any different because grief, right, right? Going back to a national championship, you win it, it's over, it's done. Well, there is no, it's over, it's done with grief. Grief is something that, as we've talked about, we're just, we're going to always do that. It's a lifelong journey. So we've got our ultimate goal and we know what we want to do, but how do we do that every step of the way? And how do we, how do we achieve that? And I think every day it's a new goal because you do go backwards sometimes, like we talked about before you do go backwards. You know, it's not just an easy progression and then a boom, we hit our ultimate goal. It's okay. I've gone five steps away and Oh, now here I am back at number one because I just had an absolutely miserable day and it really set me back. Well, now you've got a new goal. You got to start all over again. So, yeah, I definitely believe that you need to have those smaller goals. Well, that fits perfectly with what we're going to talk about today, because today we're going to talk about the stages of grief. And there's so much talk about the stages of grief. 
And the one who's most famous is Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And the stages of grief that so many people have heard about are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And she's the expert, and her famous book in 1969 really established that as the precedent many people see. But that's not the only expert on the subject. And uh, my grief mentor, um, a psychiatric nurse practitioner, she, uh, Karen Schoenholz, she introduced me to John Bowlby. And John Bowlby is an English psychologist. He's deceased now uh, in the early 1900s. And he wrote uh, a different description of the stages of grief. Some people say that Kubler-Ross actually was more on the states of grief because the five stages that she wrote about are not linear. It's not like you go from beginning to end. You may be in all of those things in different orders. Bowlby is a little bit more the beginning to end. And so for our listeners today, Jason, as we talk about having short-term goals, we're going to talk about going through each of the stages. And and you're going to share your story and how you got from these one stage to the other and what it's like, because I believe the best form of teaching is telling a story. So we appreciate, again, you telling your story, but today we're telling the story, the stages of your story. And so it starts, as Bowlby writes, with early grief. And the two main ingredients to early grief is shock and numbing and denial and disbelief. So shock and numbing. Shock is a built-in mechanism to keep a person from becoming overloaded. So shock, in a lot of ways, is a, is a blessing. We can't even cope with the reality. Uh, denial and disbelief, the way Bowlby describes that is, that's where we avoid the anxiety. We shut out the reality of the awareness. We in one hand can believe that the loss is real, but we exclude the feelings because we just can't go on with it. Now, your son, Austin, was murdered when he was 19, and you described that horrible night you got the call. How would you say denial or shock was a part of what got you through the first couple of weeks? Yeah, I would say, you know, I fell in the, the shock and numbing part of it. Um, you know, I mean, I think there's always that little bit of the denial and disbelief, but the shock and numbing uh, was was the big thing, um, you know, especially the first, you know, 48 hours, I would say, 48 to 72 hours of really trying to, to wrap this around my head and, and understand, you know, or wrap my head around it, sorry, and, and, and just really understand what I was going through, what my family was going through. Um, the disbelief, I mean, it became very, very real very, very quickly. So it was hard for me to have any kind of disbelief. Um, you know, maybe denial snuck in there a little bit. But I think for me, it was more the shock and numbing part of it uh, to where I just, I mean, it was just a blur. You know, and things were just, you think of a shockwave, right? And it just sends all the little waves. I mean, it was that's what it was like. That's what my body was like just constantly. 
as we went through all the initial processes and conversations. And so it, uh, um, yeah, it was just very numbing, very numbing. We know that everybody's experience is different. So you're telling yours, you're now experienced at talking about this and helping other people through grief and grieving. What can you say are some of the other experiences you've encountered with other people? Like I'll, I'll prime the pump on that one. A couple of weeks ago on the podcast, Susan shared her story. And she shared how this shock part was the what got them through the funeral service. They just weren't able to deal with the emotion of it. Of course, there was crying. But then even when Bowlby talks about the denial and disbelief, it, it wasn't an overt denial that they refused to admit their mother was going, but or was gone, but it was that this can't really be happening was the the thought. One of these days she's going to come walking back, you know, Mm -hmm. and Susan would actually see her at times when, I mean, she thought she saw her at times when uh, she'd be at the store or something and, oh, no, no, it's that that's even what we believe here by denial and disbelief. Do you have anything to add to that or anybody in any of your grief share groups talk about uh, that that form of shock or numbing or denial? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, obviously I've experienced a lot of it, um, you know, just through different grief share classes, groups, conversations. Um, you know, it's it's I guess the very first thing that I would tell somebody on this and I can talk a little bit more on it, but it's OK. Right. And that's where a lot of people don't want to go. Right. They don't want to they don't want to go to disbelief and they don't think it's OK, but it's OK to be there. And I think it's extremely important, um, you know, as Bol- as Bowlby lines out right in phase one, they're both extremely important. You might not go through both, but they're both extremely important. You're going to land on one or the other. Some people may land on both. Um, you know, I just, I think for me over the first 30 days, 60 days, it was just still just complete shock and numbing. Um, you know, maybe mixed with a little bit of, you know, I, I can't believe he's gone, right? But it wasn't so much disbelief as much as it just was that, you know, it's just, I held on to everything so tight that, you know, if you if you look at, at early grief, right, it's it's a built in mechanism to help keep a person from being overloaded. Right. So I just didn't allow myself to get overloaded. And so I just stayed in that shock and that numbing and and it just sat there. And there was just it, it there were days where it just didn't feel like I could get out of it. You know, I, I mean, just driving down the road and. I mean, you almost just don't even pay attention to the things that are around you, right? So probably not the smartest and safest thing to do is to drive around town when you're in that state. But, I mean, you are. You just, it's its just such a weird feeling to be able to describe. You know, it's just an out-of-body, uh, just, I mean, this experience that you just never in your life imagined could happen. 
you know, and, and now you're living with it day to day and you're seeing the reminders and, you know, just the little things. So, um, yeah, for me, it was just, I mean, shock just stayed there, but I have, I've experienced people in the denial. They just refuse to accept it, refuse to, and, and maybe I shouldn't even say refuse. Maybe they just, they don't understand how to accept it and they don't, they don't want to, they don't want the words to come out of their mouth that this person is finally gone. Right. Or when I say finally, right. Somebody that's gone through a hospice or different things like that, but even an instant tragedy that you didn't expect. Um, they just don't want to, they just don't want to admit it. They don't want to believe it. Um, and that's just, that is just part of that, that initial onset of the journey. And the reason we're talking about this is because we're asked the question, you know, what are the stages of grief? And when people are going through these stages, people wonder, am I going crazy? Is, is something wrong with me? I, I don't even know how to function because this is different than anything I've experienced before. So when we talk about this, we certainly want to recognize that people will respond to this differently. And some, this will be a bigger stage than others, but we want everybody to know this is normal. This is part of the grief process. It was for you. It is for the people you walk with in grief share. It is with the people I've walked with in ministry. It was for my own wife when she went through the loss of her mother. But this early grief is filled with a lot of shock and a sense of disbelief that this has actually happened to me. And that manifests itself in different ways. But we just want people, if you're, if you're listening and, and you're going through this, uh, we're so sorry. We're sorry for your pain. We're sorry for your loss. But we do want to affirm that what you're going through is a normal and natural stage of grief. Now, after the early stage of grief, and on the paper that I have, Bowlby is very simple in his words. It's early grief, and now it's acute grief. Once the shock subsides, the first couple of weeks and the funeral service and the travel and all of that are over, then is when the shock wears off, the numbing wears off, and the pain sets in. And there's tears, and not that there weren't before, but maybe even more so, and a sobbing and a, a wish for the return of the loved one, and just a, a longing, a yearning to have it the way it was, but the inability ability to make it the way that it was. Jason, I, I am sorry to ask you again, but do you remember having those feelings when you realized you weren't ever going to watch a Georgia football game with Austin again, that, that you, you weren't going to enjoy fellowship with your son like you had in the past and, and how you felt when the, the pain started setting in? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, you know, I, I went through all of that, you know, the sobbing, the wishing that he would return, uh, you know, always talking about him. Um, I don't know as though I ever went through any kind of restlessness um, or aimlessness or anything like that, because for me, I could just sit still um, and just wander, 
right? Staring at a picture of them or whatever the case is. Um, but no, I, I mean, I went through weeks and months of, of sobbing and couldn't even bring up his name without getting tearful um, and choking up. And, uh, you know, it just, that was just the part of, you know, I just remembered even my wife just holding me as I cried and, you know, her friends holding me <clears throat> as I cried and, you know, just me wanting him back. You know, that was all I could say. You know, I want him back. I want him back. I want him back. And knowing that that, knowing in my mind, right, that can't, that's not going to happen. It can't happen. Um, but you just, you don't stop wanting that person. I think you were in that stage when I met you after you moved to Colorado and you were, you were functioning, you were able to keep your job down, but the words that I'm recalling from, from that stage was you found it really hard to put your feet on the floor in the morning and, and just to, to keep going and to function. And it was, it was a, a real, uh, a real effort, uh, just to perform even the simple tasks of life. You might not have been disoriented. Then again, you might have been a little bit because you mentioned even like driving isn't necessarily safe because your mind's a, a million miles away. Again, it's different for different people, but that's part of the acute and difficult stage of grief. Would, would you agree with that or, or how would you describe that? No, I think it is. It's, uh, you know, in all honesty, it's probably more difficult than phase one, which is kind of funny how it goes from early grief to acute grief. Uh, you know, the, I felt like I acute kind of stepped over early. Um, because I mean, they're just, there were just days where, I mean, I would, I would pull on the job site, you know, when I was building houses and I mean, I'd be there 30 minutes and I would just start thinking about my son and the crying would start, the sobbing would start. And I went home for the day because I, I just couldn't stop, couldn't stop crying. And, uh, you know, you just, it, it does that, that part of it, that, that acute grief tends to take over and it tends to kind of just, I mean, as bad as it sounds, it just becomes the new norm. At, at that point in your journey and it just becomes part of what you are going to face every day i think for the first time in my life i started carrying a handkerchief because i just didn't know when i was going to need something um didn't matter where i was going you know pumping gas and i would see something that reminded me of them and now all of a sudden here come the floodworks right so it was just little things that happen and um and again that's when you you know you really start wishing for the return of them and uh, you know, you, you can't wait to get in front of somebody so you can mention it and talk about it. And so, yeah, for me, it, it, for me, acute grief was, was much, much bigger, uh, than early, or at least this first step in, in acute grief. <clears throat> so for the, the person listening, how long might acute grief grief last. Uh, one of the things Bowlby says is uh, when a person comes to despair in the most difficult stage of this, it's usually short-lived. So the acute stage of grief 
has a continuum even in of itself. You know, it has the beginning of acute grief where there's the pain and the, the tears and the weeping. That can grow to the point where there's absolute despair. And I don't know if I can keep on living this way. Do I have to live my whole life feeling this way? When And now we're down a ways on the acute grief. How long for you do you think you were in f- some form of the acute grief, especially as as Bowlby describes it, when the tears really started and when you, before you were able to function again? How, how long was that? Well, I think before I answer that, I do want to preface it with, you can't put a time frame on it. It's extremely difficult to put a time frame on it. Um, and again, that's just, a, as I talked earlier, it's one of the little goals that you can try to start accomplishing and maybe try, try to start seeing it through. Um, but I don't think you can put a time frame on it. Um, but for me, you know, I think before I, I, I got to the part where I wasn't waking up and immediately going to tears and immediately going to my knees, uh, was probably 10, 11 months after so and that was that was just getting to a point of okay i can get up and i can go um but there were still you know those moments but i could but i could get up and i could go and i felt i don't know lack of a better term more normal And the one thing I've always commended you for, and I did it in our last episode uh, when you were here on the podcast with me, the one thing you really did is you did sit in the other chair with someone and you shared your grief. You didn't bottle it up. You didn't deny it once you were down the road. I mean, you may have denied those feelings initially in the shock and grief stage, but but you admitted what you were going through and you expressed it because I know you expressed it to me. And mm-hmm. we spent times at the church. We spent times at Starbucks uh, hearing and expressing your story. So did that help you get through it? Did that help you get through the acute stages? And when you tell other people to make sure when you're going through the acute stages of grief, you have somebody in the other chair that's listening to you when you're talking about what it feels like to be there. Absolutely. Um, the other chair was such a crucial part of, of my, of my journey. Um, and it still is to this day. Uh, I think you've always got to have that other chair. Um, but for me, and I was extremely blessed, uh, you know, God put two people in my life to be the other chair. You know, I had one in Maryland uh, before we moved and then of course meeting you, right. And then spending our time together. So um, I was extremely fortunate to have two people to do that. Um, But I think it is, I think it's, uh, I strongly believe, I shouldn't say, I think I strongly believe you've got to have somebody in the other chair. Uh, This journey is, this journey is uh, it's tough. This journey is, uh, it's a fight and it's, it's just extremely painful and no one, no one should try, uh, to walk this journey alone. They a thousand percent should have somebody in the other chair. And what we try to do on this 
podcast is help people care the best way they can. So if there's people listening who have someone in their life who is grieving, I just want to encourage you right now, make sure you're a good listener. Make sure you're sitting in the other chair, letting somebody tell you how horrible they feel and just listen to it. But if you are a person who's grieving, you have to find somebody you can tell. And it's a tendency, especially for us men, to feel like we can solve our own problems or to feel weak when we have these heavy problems. But you were man enough to admit you needed to talk about it and and you you did talk about it and that really helped you come to the next stage. Uh, it's still in the acute grief as Bowlby writes it, but it's the reorganization. It's when you actually begin to reinvest in life and uh, attach to others and and begin to look for meaning in the loss. It's where you started to find that there could be a goal of honoring and finding a way to uh, show your respect. I, I love, I don't know if you would say this, so I'll say it for you. Uh, I love seeing your family pictures because Austin's always in a, his, one of the girls is holding a picture of Austin, you know, and he's there in the pictures with you. I've been in your home and Austin's pictures there. You, you found ways as you started reorganizing your life, I mean, like you say, you still feel bad, but you found ways to to honor Austin. And I, I could see the progress in you. And uh, you you did reach that point because you, you you were grieving and and you went through the stages and you kept moving. You didn't stop. Did you feel like you were moving when you when you started to reorganize and did you were there any thoughts like hey I'm I'm getting on I'm getting through this I'm getting through this horrible thing I'll always miss my son but I'm getting through this when did that dawn on you You know not long uh Dan after that 10, 11 month mark where I woke up one day and kind of felt, I don't know, I guess energized, kind of felt like there was something different about me. Um, you know, it, uh, I think it really began with me to understand what I wanted to start doing with this pain and with this journey. Um, when you approached me actually in one of our conversations about Stephen ministry, um, and what that was and, and getting involved in it and, uh, it really gave me an example of what I can do to to, to help um, and to be there for other people. And um, it was just such a great way for me to, you know, first and foremost, honor Christ and and to try to be more him like him, uh, but to also to be able to do that with honoring Austin. Um, so it was just, you know, I would maybe a couple of months after that, after, you know, waking up that day, you know, after right around maybe the year anniversary. Um, but I would say definitely going into that summer, that summer of 19. Uh, so that would have been a little over a year after, um, really just started kind of 
you know, as I look at this list of different things, right, it was the beginning of putting life back together. Um, you know, one of the things that I really like on this was uh, understanding, a better understanding of what life looked like now for myself, uh, for his mom, for my girls, for all of our family, his friends, um, but a better understanding of God and what God had done in my life and how God had brought me along and and really held my hand and really guided me through that journey. Um, and still to this day guides me. Uh, you know, I think sometimes he lets go of my hand to see what I'm going to go do. Uh, but then I think he quickly <laughs> snatches it back and says, Nope, come here. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, it was, uh, you know, that's, that's when things started to shape and, and make a little bit more sense. And, and then we're to the, the finals stage phase three, as Bowlby puts it, subsiding grief. And you, had the worst possible thing that could happen to you and grief never goes away, but you got through that acute grief and you were able to live again and you've reinvested in life and helping other people had a sense that you, you could live your sense of self-esteem is there again. And the internal losses are, are put in place and, you're recognizing emotional and even spiritual growth. We're not trying to put a positive spin on things, but we're recognizing that you you have come through and you have grown as a man and you you learned how to cope with something that you never thought you would have to cope with and, and how to grieve and process it. And again, I salute you for that. And I'm so honored that I had a chance to be in that other chair and and walk through here and to, to see a man go from hardly being able to put one foot in front of the other to being able to help other people with the very same thing. It's, it's, it's sad. I'm sorry for why that happened, but I'm so proud of you for how, how you moved through that. And again, the reason we're talking about this is because we want to show a journey, a progress because people listening may be at different stages and they go, am I ever going to get, is this the way I'm going to have to live the rest of my life? And we want to encourage them to say there is a process to grief. There are stages of grief. You don't need to stay exactly where you are. You will always have grief in your life. There will always be a hole where someone is missing that you dearly love, but you'll be able to move to full life again and to living life, remembering and honoring that person. A hundred percent, Dan. And I, you know, you said it a minute ago, right? The, the pain never goes away, uh, but you do find a way uh, to organize that pain and you can definitely structure it, which is, it's a very hard lesson to learn. Uh, it took me a long time to learn that, but you can do that. And, uh, you know, you mentioned that there's always pictures that you see in our family photos and this, that, and the other. And we have a saying in our family and it's very simple and it's always Austin, right? He's, he's not gone. Uh, he's gone physically, but other than that, he's not gone. So, and you know, it's like, you know, I, I said earlier, right. It's the, you start to get tearful, right? So 
I might be in the subsiding grief phase, but even just saying that just now, I go back to tearful, right? So it's, you're always going to go backwards. And I think people just need to understand that. And, and, and it's okay. It's okay to go backwards and it's okay to, to get tearful and it's okay to sob. And it, nobody can put a timeline on that. It's uh, it's going to happen. I'm five years down the road uh, and I still get tearful. So there's just, there's not a time frame, but you can and you will, and you need to try to get to a point at some stage to start organizing things a little bit better and just start giving yourself little goals of moving through this journey because it is a lifelong journey. It's not going anywhere. Jason, I want to thank you for being with me today. I want to thank you for telling your story again. And as you've told your story today, there's people that are going to be helped by it. And I hope that encourages you. I look forward to talking to you again. We want to talk even more about this goal, this ultimate goal of honoring loved one, giving people some ideas. And so we'll have you back on the podcast uh, here in the future. Uh, you'll come back and talk to me about that, won't you? Absolutely. Be honored to. All right. Well, thanks again, Jason. Thanks for sharing your story. It's been an honor to live some of this with you. And uh, I, I wish you the best as you continue to make a difference in other people's lives. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it, buddy. And look forward to uh, talking again soon. Thanks, Jason, for sharing your story again. I know it's hard to talk about it every time, but uh, you really put yourself out there with your heart and soul and tell us about Austin and your experience of losing him. And I really appreciate it. I'm sure other people are helped. So thanks, Jason. Thanks so much. Now, there's some other people I need to thank and give credit to as well. Uh, Zach wrote and performed the opening music, uh, Jim Hedinger's composition called In the Midst of the Storm. It's our closing song. Jim's music is calming, comforting, contemplative, has a healing nature to it. I think it's good to just sit and listen and let it calm you. Uh, you can find more of Jim's music on Spotify or Apple and also on homebydark.com. Uh, thanks to Andrew Hedinger for producing and editing this podcast. I couldn't do it without you. This podcast is brought to you by Best Care Ministry. Please help us grow. Share this podcast with colleagues, family members, friends. Like us, subscribe to it. Review it on your favorite podcast platform. Let's grow this thing big. And visit our website at bestcareministry.com for many more real-life stories, resources, and organizations that care about people. Best Care Ministry is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation. Please consider making a donation so we can reach more people, offer more resources, and help people thrive in their care ministry so that more people feel God's love. And thanks for listening. Thank you for being here. And now take two minutes to take care of yourself. Be still, be quiet, and listen to the calming music of Jim Hedinger and see what you hear. <laughs>